0: History shows that most bull markets end in a blow-off top, where prices shoot the moon before correcting hard. Macro analyst David Hunter thinks that we're witnessing the end of the longest-lived bull market in history, which is why he predicts a coming melt-up that will also be one for the ages. But he then predicts that the blow-off will be followed by a massive market crash, with asset prices dropping potentially as much as 80% from their highs. And to capital off, Hunter then predicts that both the melt-up and the correction will happen this year, as in the remaining half of 2021. So if his predictions turn out to be correct, we don't have much time left to prepare.
1: I think we are heading for disaster in terms of this idea that we can spend money like drunken sailors and, and have no consequences. Um, so, I mean, we've, we've seen more money printed, we've seen more fiscal spending in the past year and a half than everything else combined in, in history. And, you know, there is a payback period
0: that comes with that. I'm very excited for this next guest. We are talking with David Hunter, Chief Macro Strategist at Contrarian Macro Advisors. When I interviewed David back in January, he boldly claimed that the current melt-up in stocks was just getting started. In four months and 500 points higher on the S&P, that call is looking pretty prescient. Uh, but David also made an even bolder prediction after that. Um, he mentioned that this melt-up will peak to be followed by a market crash of the order of magnitude of 65 to 80% this year. So I am dying to hear if if uh, the intervening months since we last talked have changed his outlook at all. David, thank you so much for joining us for this conference. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm glad to come back. Thanks. All right. Well, look, let's just dive right into it. We've got to pick up right where we left off uh, back in January. You predicted as I said, that the markets, which were already richly valued, by the way, back at the time we were talking in January, were gonna melt up much higher than most people were expecting to at least SP 4,500 by around mid 2021, to be followed by that massive market crash I mentioned. Um, well, when we spoke back then, the market was at like, uh, the SP was at like 3,700. Today, it's around 15% higher, around 4,200. Uh, so that meltup prediction is looking right on track. So kudos for that. Have you revised your forecast at all? Or are you still predicting that we're going to see more melt-up here, followed by that massive market drop?
1: Yeah, my forecast remains pretty much the same. Um, I have said several times in the last several months, I would not be surprised. In fact, probably expect that my targets, um, which are S&P 4,700, uh, Dow, Thirty-eight thousand, Nasdaq seventeen thousand. Um, I will not be surprised if they get exceeded. I think those are minimum targets for me now, and uh, uh, I think we are on on track. It, you know, whether it happens before the end of the quarter, you know, we hit those targets before the end of the quarter, or whether it spills over into the third quarter, I, you know, I have no way of knowing. But I, I think it is moving there, um, pretty much on pace. And, you know, we've had some um, pullbacks here and particularly um, the growth stocks, you know, the tech stocks over the last several months, they've kind of flattened out. And a lot of people are saying it's the end for those. I think they're going to pick up speed here and lead right into the top. So, so everything to me is, is looking like it's in gear. You can always have pullbacks like we've had in the last couple of weeks, but um, I, I really feel like this thing is, is moving on schedule.
0: Okay. So it sounds like, no, your outlook hasn't changed with the exception that it, I think you've raised your targets a bit. <laughs> um, cause when we talked back in January, you said 4,500 on the S and just heard you say 47 and it sounds like you're, I'm hearing you say, and do you think that's going to probably even get exceeded? Um, so, um, you've gotten even bolder david which is uh, which is really impressive um so you know thinking of s&p 4700 plus you know that's that's another 10% at least uh for the s&p and you said you expect to see that by the end of q2 which is coming up here right it's only a month away or, or maybe bleeding into q3 so you you really see kind of a relatively violent um you know spike here from now over the next month or so um and uh, i'm not trying to put words in your mouth but um, how how short-lived is that peak going to be before the rollover into, you know, what I you guess you're saying is minimum 65% correction? Is, is that immediate or is that something that's going to kind of take a while? Are we going to hover at these heights for, you know, the rest of the year and then crash? What do you see? Yeah, it's
1: hard, hard to say, but a top oftentimes isn't, isn't a, you know, as I, I say on Twitter a lot, it's not like you're gonna go make a high one day and the next day you're on your way in the bear market so the likelihood is you make some sort of a top in june or july uh could be even early august um and then um get a a sell-off you know could be a quick 10 percent, could be anything and then come back and retest those highs you may not get back to the high you might get back two-thirds of the way so i'm guessing even though the top may happen in the next month or two um, the actual rollover may be pushed into you know, the end of the third quarter or even the fourth quarter. So um, it confuses people, I think, because I think of top and then bear market all in one time sequence, but the tops can, can be you know, weeks or you know, months long. So I wouldn't be surprised if um, the summer is more or less uh, kind of back and forth. And then by the time we get to September, October, we start rolling over.
0: Okay. All right. Um, and first, again, I just want to um, tell you it's, it's a hard business being in the business of making predictions um, and you really got to put your neck out there. So I, I commend you for having the courage to do that. And I want to get to what should investors kind of do given this outlook you have. But, but before I do, I just want to understand a little bit more sort of what's driving these predictions. So let's first talk about the remaining uh, melt up. Um, what do you see is going to drive that sort of, you know, last sugar high in the markets? Sure. Um, it's,
1: I, my work's based on fundamentals, technicals, um, sentiment, and cross-market stuff. So I, I look at all of that, and if it confirms one another, then that just raises my convictions. And I'd say what, what has kept me very bullish through this whole period when a lot of people were trying to call tops all along the way. Uh, going back to, you know, March of 2020. Um, I I have been really amazed at how sentiment has remained remarkably subdued. So yes, people are more bullish as the tapes moved up, but they have still been very skeptical. As I say, uh, even now you've got most investors with one foot out the door trying to call a top. So that's not usually how tops Um, how sentiment looks at a top. At a top, you're gonna have people, when I start turning more negative, people arguing with me, no, this thing has a long ways to go. So we're not there yet. I I think people are very nervous. Everybody's kind of worried now about a top. Um, So that that keeps me invested. Um, I also have, um, through all of this said, this is the end of a 39 year secular bull market and the end of such a long cycle will tend to end in a parabolic. So, um, you know, that's kind of driven me too to say, we're we're gonna see the slope get ever steeper right into the top. And obviously we've had a pretty steep run from um, the lows in March of 2020 up until now. Um, But I think it's even gonna be a steeper, almost vertical slope when we, you know, make this last leg up. And that's part of why I can say, I don't know whether we're going to get a top as early as the end of this quarter. That seemed crazy to say you could see 10 or 20 percent up, you know, NASDAQ over 20 percent from here up in a month's time. But um, because it can go parabolic in the end in the end game, um, you can cover a lot of ground in a short while. Whether that ground is four weeks, six weeks, eight or 10 weeks, I don't know. And I'm not trying to call a trading yeah, you know, I'm not trying to make a trading call. I'm really just saying, at the earliest, it could happen before the end of this quarter. More likely, it's you know sometime midsummer.
0: Okay, great. So it sounds like you're saying mostly it's it's sort of uh, you're basing this on history, which is that. Uh, all prolonged bull markets end in a parabolic uh, blow off and this is a 39 year bull market that you're you're looking at here and then um uh, sentiment slash emotion driven which is um you know right now there's still a wall of worry uh, for that bull market to climb um and uh, i guess we'll i guess we don't have to wait that long it sounds like we only need yeah, to wait a month we, or and two we,
1: and we do have fundamental I mean it's not like it's up on you know it, it looks like a sugar high but we've had so much liquidity pumped and, and fiscal stimulus as well, that you are getting tremendous earnings um, as a wind at your back. So it's not like this is up on stilts with nothing supporting it. We really have had, you know, incredible uh, liquidity poured into this thing. And it's it's now with the lags that happen to fiscal and monetary stimulus, it's now kicking in. So, so a lot of this is going to coincide with fundamental backdrop that says, yeah, this should go up. Um, and I think that's probably what, and again, this is more guesswork, but this, I, that's probably what moves some of that sentiment from skeptical and cautious, uh, trying to look for the exit door to saying, wow, this thing has legs, is I think as as the economy really opens up here, um, it's going to, it's going to even be more um, supportive of earnings and more supportive of a strong economy. So uh, the other side of that is that also, as we've seen the conversation take place, um, means inflation starting to pick up. And that's, that's the race is between fundamental support, fundamental acceleration and inflation acceleration, which, which one wins out.
0: Uh, okay, great, and thanks for that clarification because that goes to what I wanted to ask about next, which is, um, uh, you know, uh, we have uh, the, right now. You mentioned the stimulus; it, 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 it's looking like you know the stimulus may continue. Right, that there there could be you know a, a lot more more or even a lot more stimulus going forward. I just saw a headline this morning that says that Biden is uh, proposing like uh, six more trillion uh, in infrastructure (laughs) spending. Um, uh, Who knows whether that's going to get passed or not, but that seems to be the trial balloon he's floating today. Um, So, uh, you know, if stimulus continues and even ramps up from here, is that something that could keep this high going even higher for longer than you're predicting? And in, in your answer to that, if you can just touch upon all right, you sort of gave the reasons for why you think the melt is gonna happen. Can you now give your reasons for why you think such a tremendous crash is going to quickly follow?
1: Sure, yeah, people, people think I'm endorsing what's going on and I go, I'm, I'm a strategist, I'm forecasting what I think will happen. That is not an endorsement of what the policies are. I, I think we are heading for disaster in terms of this idea that we can spend money like drunken sailors and, and have no consequences. Um, so I mean we've we've seen more money printed we've seen more fiscal spending in the past year and a half than everything else combined in, in history and you know there is a payback period that comes with that um, the first payback obviously is if you overheat the economy you get inflation and we're getting inflation both because of overheating but also because of supply chain issues uh, frankly we've spent, you know, several decades in a sub a subdued economy. Um, And so commodity producers adjusted to that and said, okay, you know, we don't have the kind of industrial demand we used to have. And um, as a result, uh, and we went to just in time inventory on a lot of this stuff, as a result, you've got this um, supercharged economy caused by all this stimulus uh, kind of running headlong into, a supply shortage, and and that means something has to give, and what gives is price. So price goes straight up. Um, And although, you know, Fed Chairman Powell wants to call it transitory, I think some of his members disagree. Some of his um, fellow governors disagree already. And I think he's gonna come to the realization that, yes, some of it's transitory, but some of this is, is inflation that's not gonna slow down anytime soon. And that's when I think they have to start saying, hey, maybe we've overdone this. Maybe we have to worry about an overheating economy and we have to go push against it, which I argue is not going to be pulling, uh, raising interest rates, you know, the Fed not pushing Fed fund rates up, but more the Fed pulling money out of the system. So it'll be more shrinking the balance sheet than it will be rate hikes.
0: All right, and, and you see that as sort of the pin that pops the, um, the 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 melt up, basically, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And it sounds like you're seeing that the you're predicting that the Fed's hand is going to be forced at some point, likely in Q3 ish.
1: Yeah, probably towards the end of Q3. Um, I I think I'm. Uh, it seems contradictory, but I'm actually calling for a 1.2% 10-year. Uh, over the course of the next month or two. So a, a rally in bonds, drop in rates here, um, and that buys some time, I think that's one of the reasons why we'll get the run up in the growth stocks. Um, it buys us a little time, whether that happens in a month's time or it happens over a couple months, that kind of coincides with that run in the stock market. So, um, you know, we get ebbs and flows in the markets. People look and they, they think linearly, when they look at markets. So if rates ran from 0.6% on the 10 year to 1.75, all of a sudden everybody wants to believe we're going straight up from there. Mm -hmm. And I said at 1.75, I think we're going down to 120 before we head for two and a half. And so it's it's that stair-step process that our markets go through. Uh, Some of it's because investors get positioned too far to one side, and the you know you have to move back the other way. Um, you know you get too much shorting of the bond market, and then it, you know you get some information out that says, "Hey, maybe we've overdone it," and it goes back the other way. So basically, that buys some time. It buys the Fed some time. It buys the market some time. And so I, I'm thinking more mid to late summer is when you're going to start seeing more um, concern about tightening on the on the part of the Fed.
0: Okay, and I, I we've mentioned the numbers a lot already so far, but it, anything else to add to why you see such a potentially brutal correction i mean as as potentially as high as eighty percent in your estimation?
1: Sure, yeah, that i I kind of skip over as if it's no big deal. It's a huge deal. Um, yeah, the other side of this, the call of a what I call a global deflationary bust is caused by the fact that we've got, and this is, we, we, I've, I'm focused on the US, but this is a global story. We've got um, what the Fed did, every central bank did in terms of printing money like we've never seen before, what our government's doing in terms of um, fiscal expansion, so are other um, governments around the world. So we've got a situation where we've got over 250 trillion in debt um, laid over this economy. And that that's just leverage beyond anything we've seen in history. So that when you do roll over, when you do get tightening, it it exacerbates whatever you have. Uh, we kind of saw that in two thousand eight nine uh, in spades, and this time we have even more leverage. And you know maybe not the U.S. as much now, but Europe and Canada and Australia in much more um, extreme situations in terms of their their um, uh, debt and and their housing situation, their banks. Um, So I think we may not be the leader of this downturn this time, but I think it's gonna be a very big global bust.
0: All right. Well, um, I want to talk about life after the bust uh, before we end this conversation. But before I do, let me get to the thing that I think is on the top of most uh, viewers' minds right now, which is, okay, uh, enough of the strategy, let's get to the tactics. So uh, David sees um, you know a, a run-up here, 10% plus in the S&P, 20% plus in the NASDAQ over the next couple months. Um, uh, what For people that are remaining long, at least portions of this market, where do you see the most opportunity to gain from the rest of the melt-up? And I'll mention that I've I've been following you on Twitter. uh, And I see that you've been saying that you expect uh, precious metals to do quite well uh, over that same time, gold to 2,500, silver to 45-ish or so, and that you expect the mining complex to basically double over the next couple of months? Uh, a, is that accurate? And B, besides the precious metal space, and if you can explain why you like that, um, what other spaces do you think have uh, you know a lot of promise in the next couple of months as this runoff spikes? Sure.
1: Um, yeah, I do. I, I am a huge bull on precious metals, both gold and silver, and and you're quite correct. I, I think gold can get to 2,500 um, this year and probably, you know, could could be in the third quarter. Um, I think silver could get to 45 to 50. Um,
0: and and again, these numbers may prove to be low. Um, so yeah. I'm not and David, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you, but are, are is, is the run-up in the precious metals primarily driven by you know everything melting up, or is it primarily driven in your mind by a a, a rush to safety once things start falling apart? Um probably a l-
1: little of both, but it's
0: it's more. Um, frankly, it's the inflation story.
1: It's the recognition. Um, and, and again, investors can, can kind of have thoughts into two time sequences, but they, they look at all this money being created and they do understand that somewhere that's inflationary. And then you start getting confirmation in terms of the inflation numbers we've we're been getting recently. And I think people are starting to move into the precious metals for that reason. Some of it is just that the metals have lagged, everything else, and I know a lot of people think it's because Bitcoin's taken, uh, taken their place. I don't believe that at all. I think it's just markets move on their own sequences and the precious metals are just, have been slow to, to move into this because um, some people view it as an alternative to equity markets or that they move inverse. Sometimes they move inverse, sometimes they move together. Um, so there are, I think there are a host of reasons why metals are starting to uh, heat up here. Um, but certainly, technically, they are starting to break above some very important levels. Um, and they've got pictures that I, you know, um, some people show their family pictures. I, I might like to show them charts. <laughs> and um, I, I think the pictures of gold and silver are absolutely stunning. I mean, they are saying that dead ahead is a very big move up. Um, And that's for this year and then longer term, I think they have very, very long runways. So gold can get to 10,000 by the end of the decade, silver to 300 plus by the end of the decade. So you have both an intermediate story and a long-term story in the metals that you don't have in other markets. Um, But beyond the metals and the miners, the miners will do very well in that kind of a, a metals environment. Beyond that, you also have I think tech has basically spent um, five months consolidating, more than five months, really, almost eight, nine months, consolidating the gains that we had from March 2020 into Labor Day of last year. Um, they've basically gone sideways and been in big trading ranges, um, particularly the FANGs. Semiconductors have been stronger than the FANGs, but they've had a, a consolidation here. And they look like they have big runway ahead. So, as I said, I think tech leads into the top, um, but also industrials, economic opening up stocks. You know, airlines, uh, rails, all those things still look very, very um, healthy and like they have plenty of upside ahead. Um, the areas that I I don't think are going to do as well, they'll probably go up, but just underperform some of the other areas are the more defensive areas like utilities and staples that kind of thing so so to me it's the economically sensitive and and the tech growth both may move together for a change um you know we've had some that's another reason why the market's been so healthy As we've had rotation from one group to another and that's allowed the market to have plenty of fuel. Um, I think this last stage, you might see a pretty broad rally where a lot of things participate.
0: Okay, so it sounds like the everything bubble, as many people call this, is going to end with everything going up. Um, But things that you see doing particularly well are, as you said, uh, uh, the tech and especially the tech leaders like the FANGs the major industrials, the opening up companies, um, and obviously the precious metals and the miners. Hey, one last question on the precious metals, because I now want to talk about the bust part. We hope you've been enjoying this conversation with contrarian macro analyst David Hunter. The interview continues in part two, where David focuses on the coming bust he predicts, both its timing, as well as the asset classes that he thinks are best positioned to ride it out. To watch part two, just click on the link provided in the description of this video below, or go to youtube.com slash But before you go, please don't forget to click the subscribe button below if you haven't already, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. Oh, and if you'd appreciate a free, no strings attached portfolio review by a financial advisor who takes into consideration both the macro risks and the market opportunities mentioned by David, just go to Wealthion.com and we'll set one up for you. Okay, I'll see you over at part two of our interview with David Hunter.